Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. If you desire to speak to the host, please press 1 at any time. You are now in the host queue. Right here on the far south side of Chicago. Talk about anything you want, as long as you keep it metal. That's right. Wednesday night, 10 o'clock here in Chicago. I'm Neil Wanell, and in New Jersey, as always, my co-host, Japan, Nick. Nick, how you doing tonight? Muted. Yo, I'm still on the line. There you are, Nick. All right. Excellent. Got you now. I don't know what happened there. Sorry about that. I'll turn up the volume. Oh, no, no. No problem. It's, uh, it's, uh, I don't think it's you. I just think it's the site. You know, we'll blame it all on Blog Talk Radio. Okay. But um so how are you doing? Uh, How's things going tonight? Um well, today's a pretty fun day. I uh, learned I got a fourth published article in the Aquarian Weekly. It's um just an oh, album review. But um it's still nice to get something published, you know? Right, yeah, exactly. It's an album review. What uh what'd you review? Um, Sacred Mother Tongue. It's, uh, the album was Out of the Darkness. They're a London-based hard rock metal band, and, uh, they just mm-hmm. released their sophomore album. And, um... It, and is it like, uh, you have a link or something where, where you go to the... Um, not yet. Um, on the Aquarian Weekly, they have yet to post a version of it, so uh-huh. it's just kind of like a little bit of a pain dealing with that at the moment, but I mean, there is a print version that I'm holding in my hand right now, so that's really, really great to get the print version out, but also the online right, version yeah. is super important, too. Oh, okay. And you'll put that on your website, though. Don't you put everything on Yeah, there. I actually have a uh, PDF file of it on my website at japannick.com. Just look in my oh, published okay. article section. But I mean, mm-hmm. the actual Aquarian version is not up yet. Oh, okay. All right. Well, and still, I mean, that's that's where uh, you know listeners can go to JapanNick.com and they can find that and they can find all the uh, all, all the interviews you've done. Yeah, and um, it's feel like uh, it's opened up uh, really good doors for me, and. Uh, mm-hmm. just really happy getting something published in the Aquarian because it's like, if you're in New Jersey, like, you should be getting stuff published in that paper. Because uh, you, right, you right. hit all sorts of people in North and South Jersey this as well. This isn't your first New one, though, is it? Um, no, no, that's not my first uh, published article. It's um, actually my fourth, but it's my first album review. I had three interviews published in there, too. Oh, all right, cool. Well, congratulations on that. Much appreciated, Neil. Now, um, and besides that, had a really great conversation with Luna and Eli from Holy Grail last Sunday. And not only did I learn about the new album and things like that, but also gave a lot of um, kind of like just DIY type, you know, how do you work as a band type stuff. Where like, mm-hmm. I felt like the most... Um, the heaviest question I asked was, um, 
for musicians who are just beginning their careers, can you explain the difference between paying your dues and being taken advantage of? Because mm-hmm. that that is a very fine line that you need to oh, yeah. um, draw on the sand on when you need to stop doing that. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, I mean you, you get into the pay-to-play stuff as well as mm-hmm. you know people who are promoting you in some respect, they end up giving you either pennies on the dollar, what you think you should get, or just nothing at all. Right, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of the whole pay-to-play thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess I kind of, I agree with uh, Jules from Hatchet when he was on, you know, he, his whole take on that was, you know, I mean, sometimes if you got to pitch in a little here and there to make things happen, that's okay, you know, but there's, yeah, there's a limit, you know, when it's just a promoter just walking all over you and making money off of you, you know, that's not right. Yeah, I mean, essentially, with the pay-to-play stuff, I mean, it's like, for a lot of people, I think they're ending up just like throwing out two or three hundred bucks or maybe a hundred dollars at this mm-hmm. club, and the people aren't even coming in. You're just throwing them money of yours, and it's like you don't get anything out of that in that right, sense. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And, then, and then it kind of it, it kind of ruins it for promoters that are doing good because there are a lot of great prom- promoters out there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very unfortunate when something like that happens because all mm-hmm. it takes is a major news story about one or two really slimy people to affect the reputation of everybody else. Right, and right, exactly. It's like, let's say you're having a garden, and then you mm-hmm. get like some parasites in there or something like that. If you don't do something about that immediately, the whole garden is going to be ruined, essentially, by the end of right. uh, the summer. So it's mm-hmm. it's up to everybody, not only the fans, but also, I guess, possibly also the promoters, too, to re- root out some of these people in the scene that are given a bad name for the rest of the people that are doing a good job and showing respect to oh, people. Oh, yeah. Word of mouth definitely travels. You know, and then with you got Facebook, put stuff up there, let people know who's uh, who's not doing good, who's ripping people off. But on the same on the same level, if you're going to post that, then then you, you should post the names of the people that are doing good. You know what? Yeah, I mean, scratch that. Only post the names of the people that are doing good. In fact, don't give the ones that are doing bad. Don't give them any publicity at all. Just yeah, they've they've probably heard of more than bad talk. It's just no talk at all. I'd agree with that because the thing is, like, let's say you're posting negative information about somebody in a certain scene. Those people, like, if uh, they see that and they're in the right mindset, they'll they'll really try to walk all over you and stomp you out and be like, you know, where are you getting this information from? This is slander. This is libel. Do you know the legal ramifications of what you're saying? Things along that nature. Right. Oh, and yeah, exactly. 
I mean, some of these people that have uh, been in uh, this situation long enough, I mean, some of them would just say, you know what, I don't even care. I'm not even going to touch this. This is some small fry stuff that doesn't, that's not going to affect me in any way. This isn't going to make the New York Post. This isn't going to make the Aquarian Weekly. This isn't going to make any sort of major news story. If I just ignore it, it's not going to go anywhere. Uh-oh. The smart ones will know what to do. Right, right, exactly. But I mean, it's like Hmm. where there's smoke, there's fire, so. Right, right, that's true. That's very true. So what else is going on? I'd say besides that, um, the great cat ended up uh, reposting uh, an interview I had with uh, my friends in Zamboni recently, and I was uh, really mm-hmm. cool of her to do that, and um, yeah, likely going to uh, try and do some uh, an interview with her. I'd say either this month or next month, I need to come up with some intelligent questions. Like I'd really like to hear mm-hmm. about uh, her time as like a violinist at Juilliard because um, mm-hmm. you never hear about any of those types of stories because years ago I used to play the violin and um, right. I mean, it, it'd be really interesting just to hear her take on being this violinist that became a speed metal guitarist. I mean, that, that's such a wild transition. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely, uh, definitely look forward to that, that interview. But that's just a maybe right now, huh? That's not nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was really cool that she did that. And Mm -hmm. very likely, um, I I just need to get around to doing some good research on her career and give her an intelligent and thought-out interview. That's pretty much what I think. uh, I guess people just have to keep checking back on your website to find out when that's up. You know, I'll find you on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, it'd be badass as hell if I could get that published. Because, I mean... Oh, yeah, yeah. It would be. But, uh, yeah, that could probably happen. I could see that happening for you. And I guess just besides that, just learning about all the different information that's going on, like... Um, mm-hmm. With every one of these interviews, it's like, let me take a look. Speaking about um, getting on compilation CDs, as well as for like a band that has performed at festivals in Europe, uh-huh. what kinds of things do they need to do to make a club tour happen? Because you definitely reach a different demographic of people if you're playing club dates all over right, Europe right. versus you're performing at these like fifty and 100,000 person festivals because there's a completely mm-hmm. different um, set of people, I think. Because I think likely um, some of the more... Um, well-off fans can see the festivals because some of those festivals can be a bit pricey, but I mean, if you're seeing a club gig right. somewhere, I don't think it'd be more than 20 or 30 bucks uh, the equivalent in Europe. Right, right. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot, of, a lot of interesting information, too, I mean, that, that somebody could use in... in uh... And I guess a lot, you know, or, or probably pretty much all of the interviews you've done, you know, you've talked to the bands about 
about the business side of it and how they handle this, how they handle that. And then, you know, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, people that want to want to learn that, go over to your website and check out them interviews. It's all there. Well, to be honest, I'd say I didn't really start getting into any of that type of stuff until my Rat Skates interview. And I saw, like, uh-huh. what I could really do with that. I mean, dealing with the guys in Speed Wolf, that was really cool to do. Uh-huh. And um, the Radius Clauses, I mean... Yeah, yeah, I wow. wanted to uh, ask you about that, because that's the, the first time I have heard of, of anything like that was from the Speed Wolf interview you did. And that was just, what, yeah. a few weeks ago at Maryland Death Fest? Yes, that was Sunday at the Maryland Death Fest. I believe it was May 26th I did that interview. Okay. All right, so explain a little of that. What is a radius clause? How does all that work? Okay, a radius clause is this contract that you sign where it pretty much says mm-hmm. either A or B. Let's say the uh, concert promoter people or the people running the concert, they already paid your band. And right. so then they find out they didn't want you to perform for X amount of time let's say it was two weeks and or 200 miles or 100 miles around this like festival or concert date and supposing you do either Mm -hmm. they give you a penalty fine that would likely be 100% or possibly even more I'd assume it's a hundred percent, but I've yet to really hear any of the types of numbers thrown around in this type of story. And also, right. let's say they didn't pay you yet. You're not getting paid even if you performed. Right, right, yeah. So it's just and and what if you just say, well, no, I'm not going to sign a contract that says that. Well, you're not playing the gig, then, of course. Very much likely that. It's right. kind of like, what's the reasoning for all of this? I mean, so it's like if you're playing on a Friday night at this festival or this club or whoever's giving you this radius clause, you're playing here on a Friday night. You can't play within 100 miles of here for another week or so. Well, it's bookended, I I believe, where it's kind of like it's not – it wouldn't be two weeks. It'd be like the span of possibly a month where you couldn't play possibly okay. too. Right. Well, I, I was just, you know, saying that, just putting the time on it. But that's basically what it is, and that benefits uh, who? That that promoter. Well, obviously, the promoter of the concert. It, it, right. Exactly. So he's getting more money. He's getting uh, everybody who wants to see this band is going to have to come here because they're not going to play another week later is, closer to your house or yeah at a cheaper is, show or something. Yeah, that's that. Uh, that's not right. I mean, you know, I mean, you're the. You should be able to put your band wherever you want to put your band. It essentially maximizes the likelihood of a high audience attendance at a certain concert. However, right. too, I mean, let's say you're a, a touring band from, let's say, you're coming out from California and you're performing uh-huh. in New York. I mean, 
I'm I'm sorry, but if you're like an underground band or you're you're not as big as uh maybe Exodus or uh, even bigger bands like mm-hmm. you can't do that. I mean, you're going to need to be playing 20 or 30 shows, maybe even more than that to how you say right. recoup all your crazy expenses of uh what you need to do for a tour these days in America. So yeah, right. You're, you, I mean, they're hurting the band. They're hurting the uh, the fans that want to go out and see the band. So, I mean, you're pretty much telling them you got to come to our show if you want to see it. It's just, uh, I don't think there's anything anything about that that sounds right to me. I, I I'd assume pretty much people just let it happen, and nobody said, you know what. I'm not doing that. I'm putting my foot down. That's that's wrong. That's not fair. I don't think enough people right. have uh, had enough to say about that, but I think a lot of people are really getting wiser and communicating a lot more with each other, not only in your uh, respective cities, but also all over the place, all over your country, as well as talking internationally, too, about things. And people getting oh, yeah. I mean, you, a lot smarter. We have Facebook now. You know, you got, yeah. you got Twitter. You've got yeah. It's just it's endless. The, you know, so I mean, yeah, bands could definitely promote a lot more than they could. But I, I, I yeah, too. I mean, just don't do it. Just say I'm not playing that show. We're not going to do it. And you, you got to get the, all the bands to stick together, even though. Maybe they really want to play there because there's going to be a lot of people there. Or it's a really cool stage, you know, and they got a good sound system. That's one thing a lot of these people got going for them. You know, they've they got a really good venue for you to play in, but it's going to cost you a lot. I don't know. I'm not into that. I, I, I'd rather you just tell the band straight up, say, well, you know, we can't pay you anything, but you can get up and do your, your 20 or 30 or 40-minute set or whatever it is, you know. And you go up there and you play, and you know that you know you're coming off. You're not gonna, you're not getting paid for doing that show, but maybe you'll sell some CDs or some shirts. You know, they'll tell you, hey, you know, you bring your merch, sell your merch, come out and play. But then you but run don't into charge them, you know. I'd say though, but then you but, run into the situation. Wait, you you tell me what you were gonna say, Neil. No, I was just, I'm just I'm done. Go ahead. I was going to say go ahead. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you. Uh, okay. Well, well. Anyways, then you run into the scenario where the merch sold at clubs does a hundred percent get to be kept by the bands, or is there how you say a percentage of what the bands sell in terms of their merchandise that goes to the club? Oh, the merch, the club's getting a percentage of that. Ah, I wouldn't agree to that. That's not right. You know, I mean, that's the band's merch. That's how they're making their money. You're not paying them. You're already not paying them for coming out and and playing. And hopefully they're bringing some people out, you know. Even if it's not, you know, even if it's only a handful of people, they're, they're all buying drinks at your bar that are probably highly inflated prices, you know. Yeah, I mean... Some of these uh, beers you can buy at some clubs, it's like 10 or $15 a beer. And it's like, what the fuck? Oh, man. 10 or 15 bucks a beer, man. 
See, I don't drink at all, so I don't know that. Well, that's, that's probably a good thing. I go in there, I'll get a Pepsi, and I can nurse that for the whole night. I mean, then you also get the situation, too, where it's like they're charging water, and they figure out a way to make sure that you can't get water free. So it's like, damn. Uh-huh. I mean, you thought of a, the perfect way so that, like, there's no way people can't just go into your club and not buy anything. I mean, you're right, you're, you're shaking right, yeah. them down too. We only have bottled water. It's two fifty for a bottle, you know. It's, oh, that's, that's pretty two, cheap for a bottle for the case, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, because they ended up going oh, down to like for the Pepsi's. Um, I'd say something like that, two three bucks. Oh yeah, no, for a Pepsi, it's it's nuts. They'll give you a little plastic cup, fill it all the way right up to the top with ice, and then squirt a little bit of Pepsi in there, put one of them stirs, and they give it to you, and then charge you like two to three bucks for it. That's how you make the money. If you yeah. do that, if you put a bunch of ice in the cup, you can make way more money than if you didn't put ice in the cup. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, you're only you're essentially what you're doing is you're selling a cup of ice with a splash of Pepsi on top. That that's that's what's going on. Right. That's why I say, you know, I'll go in there and I'll get one drink and it's probably like one Pepsi and I got it all night. And I usually try to get somebody to buy that for me. And I don't go to shows unless I'm on the guest list. You know, so it's like yeah. that's why I didn't see the stones when they come come through. You know, what was that, like 600 bucks for tickets for the CEO? Yeah, no, I'm not, no. Yeah, I mean, and it's just like, you got to keep in mind, Neil, like, also, too, there's like a percentage of tickets that never go on sale to the general public, too. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure that a certain percentage, I'm not sure, I can't calculate the numbers, obviously, but... You'll see tickets go up on StubHub like 10 or 15 minutes after the tickets go on sale to the general public. And it's just like at crazy inflated prices. And it's like, wait a minute. I thought scalping was illegal. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm not real. I mean, I've heard of StubHub. I'm not real familiar with it. But that's basically like legalized scalping. Ticket broker is what they call it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's and what it, they do. They buy up all the uh, the seats, the good seats, the ones that you want. Remember the day when you had to spend, like, all night hanging out in line so that you, you would have a chance to get one of the good tickets? Yeah, or or wake up real know, early or something like that. Maybe I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm aging myself here, but that was part of the fun of the – I mean, the whole – the concert was maybe two or three weeks away – or no, or two or three months rather. I'm sorry, two or three months away, and you got to go because tickets go on sale ten o'clock on Saturday morning, and and if you want to get a good seat, you're going to go out there like seven or eight o'clock Friday night and just hang out. And it's like a big party, you know. Everybody's just bit partying out in the parking lot, hanging out, waiting for the store to open, and yeah, and it, it was you could actually maybe get first or second or third row or. Or within the first ten rows of a, at a, a you know a really big venue back then it was really it was you had to wait for it you had to work for it but it, 
it made it uh it, it made it worth more, I I would think, you know, or at least it felt more. It's like, man, I waited out all night to get this and I'm right up front, you know. Where it's like now it's like, Oh, I paid six hundred bucks, you know, and I'm right up front. <laughs> it's like, yeah, hell well. And the ticket prices, I mean, back then, we were talking between uh, 8 and $12. What were the service charges like, though? Uh, I don't know. Maybe if they had one, maybe $0.50, cents, $0.75, cents, which might have seemed kind of high. And I'm talking like early, early, mid-80s, you know, early to mid-80s, maybe even very late 70s. Man, I'm trying that then. Early, mid-80s. Yeah, I was taking a like I was taking a look at some tickets going on sale for Megadeth at a New York City club called the I believe the Hammerstein, and uh-huh. for the highest uh, tickets, it's like a hundred dollars plus I think a, a nineteen dollars service charge. Nineteen dollars service charge. Yeah, they, they used to call it a convenience charge, I remember. Service right? charge, yeah, convenience con- charge, it's the same thing. Right, yeah, they just conveniently charged you another 19 bucks. You know, how convenient. You know, that's convenient for me or for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they, it's, it's parking. It's, it's included in the ticket. What do you mean, I'm taking the bus, you know? It's like, I, I'm not driving. But you got to pay for parking, you know? Yeah, parking can be a real killer too. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, it's like I don't drive, so it's, uh, if yeah. the CTA ain't going there, I'm not going there. You know, that's pretty much how that goes. Now, what have you noticed um, from getting meet and greet packages? What do they usually end up being? Yeah, I've never done that. I've never paid for a meet and greet package. I don't know. That's uh, again, that just takes away. You know, I mean, well, I've seen that being as much as like what a hundred bucks, almost two hundred bucks, somewhere in that radius. And for that, you get you get well, you get a ticket to the show. You you get to go in like what fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, maybe even up to thirty minutes early. And you can get something signed. You might get a promotional poster, and the the band will sign it for you. Maybe even get your picture taken with it. You know, but you got to pay for that. That that's not right. You know, I mean, again, I remember the days of hanging out behind the back venue, of the club. You know, trying right back of the club behind the venue, wherever. You know, there's the boss. I'm going to go near the boss and hopefully I can get my album signed. You know, or, or just say hi to him or something like that. You know. Now I got to pay a hundred dollars if I want to if I if I want to shake Dave Mustaine's hand. It's going to cost me a hundred dollars. Yeah, you know. Uh, how come I can't do something like that? You know. Maybe I should uh, auction myself off on eBay. You know, you could like win dinner with Neil or something. I'll take you out for dinner. It's got to be like a Tuesday night because then we can go to pizza place over here. It's got a half price pizza on Tuesdays, you know? <laughs> and you got to pay for your own pizza, too. I'm not buying you a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Unless yeah. it's a really good auction. I mean, if it goes up, like, you know, who knows? 30, 40 bucks somebody might pay. Yeah, I'll buy a pizza then. That's. I can't imagine. Do you remember when meet and greet packages first appeared? 
could just uh, – maybe within less than 10 years ago, I think it's the first time I've seen it. And I'm like, a meet-and-greet package. Well, what is this? You know? And then I looked into what it was, and I'm just like, oh, no, they're not – no. <laughs> Every little bit, you know? It's like, can I have, like, a dime left for me? You don't even have enough to get a drink at the show anymore by the time you pay to get in. And then if you want a shirt, what's the shirt's cost you now? It depends on the club, but I think I I got a T-shirt from a Guns N' Roses concert for like 45 or $40. <laughs> oh right. Tell me, ain't and that a risk? Who's getting the money for that, you know? I mean... Uh, well, there's yeah. a percentage of money that goes from the uh, merch sales to the club. Nobody... We probably need to figure that out through one of these bands. But I mean... I'm sure it's a different number at every club. But, I mean, if you're going to do pay-to-play at a club, why are you not going to charge bands for the privilege of selling merch at your club? Right. I mean, if you're going to go to pay to play, you might as well make them pay you for all the stuff that they sell, too. Yeah, well, that's, I don't know. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't think that's right, you know, but, uh, I'm sure there's people doing it, you know, making, well, yeah, there's people doing it. Clubs taking a percentage of the merch. I mean, I guess maybe if it was a place where there's a bunch of people set up, like a flea market or something, you got to pay 10 or 20 bucks for a table, you know, and that happens. But Oh, it's different than that, though. I mean, it's more of like for everything that's sold, there's a certain tariff on it, if you will. Right. Or like just a special <laughs> tax that... Right. The tax money goes to the club. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. It's, that's why I encourage bands to just do their own thing, you know, do their own shows, go out. And, and do you even need a label anymore, really? I mean, I don't know. They, I don't want to bash the labels because, yeah, there's probably a lot of them that deserve, that deserve it. But then... Again, I keep thinking of when we had Jules on the show. Remember, he was talking about they, they're signed to In The End Records, and he was just talking about how they actually paid for him to go on tour. They give him you know, money for this, money for that. And they were really, really supportive of the band, really, really helping them out. Yeah, I mean, also, so, too, yeah, I mean, it, it can be really rough, like being a uh, band starting out on your first tour of America. And let's say you end up with some shit van where it's like you're going around and it has trouble think about the amount of money that is going out of your tour profits into mm-hmm. unsavory right. uh, um, mechanics well that happened to uh, to Bonded by Blood that happened to a number of bands uh, Warbeast well, too had uh, problems with uh, their van Right. Yeah, that's but why I mean, it's bonded by blood and hatchet. That's why they didn't come through Chicago because uh, because of it. And and then again, it's hatchet was on that tour. That was Hatchet's band. You know, they they loaned 
loaned it to them so they could do the tour because uh, their label got them on the tour bus. You know, so again, yeah, yeah look, look at what the label did for them there. There you go. Send your demos to In The End Records. And then uh, also tell them that I referred to, referred you. Maybe I'll get some royalties or something there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think has been the craziest story about terrible royalties that a musician has signed up for? Um... Well, I don't know about terrible royalties. I haven't heard a lot. I'm not really, you know, I don't hear a whole lot about what, what they're getting as far as royalties. But I know, you know, I mean, a lot of bands you, you hear about, they just get, get uh, look at Badfinger. I mean, back in the early 70s, that's a classic example of a band that just got, uh, I mean, they come out, they, they, they got a couple of good hits and, and they're living the high life. And, well, when they're not, the hits kind of dried up. It's, they don't own that stuff. You know, the labels, the cars, they don't own them. The houses they're living in, that's not theirs. The label owns all of that. You know, now you're out on the streets because you're not, uh, your second album didn't sell as much as your first. You know, it's, it's like, what happened there? Yeah, two of them guys ended up killing themselves over all of that. Yeah, I mean, it's... That's why I said, just do your own thing. Do it yourself. Don't rely on these people. I mean, if you, if you, and then you're going to find the good ones, you know, because I think probably for every one bad one that's out there, there's at least two or three good ones. Unfortunately, they're just uh, not as readily available or as easy to find. But when you do it, you should definitely tell people about it. Definitely spread the name of the good people out. I would say that. We're, uh, we're running short on time. I'm sorry, Nick. I'm just talking and talking and talking. Oh, we we still got about ten minutes left. So yeah, we do. We got about ten minutes before we're on the uh, the live feed is over. We're on the recording feed, but that's uh, that's all right. So, yeah, it's still ten minutes. So there's a lot to get to. Now, I mean, I'd say that the craziest number I ever saw, I saw, um, I believe Bobby Gustafson. Um, former and original guitarist for Overkill, he was saying that he got ten cents per album on oh, as his yeah. royalties, and it's like, wow, <laughs> ten and cents. Was that, I mean, is that just him, or what about the other members of the band? I mean, was he saying that um, he was? Uh, I have no idea treated... on the rest of the band members. Okay, because I mean, they might all be getting the same amount. It's you know, you're not saying that Overkill is is taken from him. It could be the label taken from the band. Most likely that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, that's just like, that's, if you're getting 10 cents an album, um, wow. That's the mm -hmm. lowest I've ever heard ever for a musician. Right. Uh -huh. I typically thought, I, I always thought it'd be like maybe a dollar or two an album. And then um, yeah. you hear stories that, like, Metallica, like, um, they were getting, like, 5 or $6 per album they sold, which is, when you think about it, it's stupid that they weren't just, like, making and pressing their own albums, because, I mean, the overhead on that, you take that away, and it's just, like, it really That's doesn't true. take that much money to make a CD booklet the plastic for the no. CD, etc. I mean, if you want to put out even like 
probably, I'm guessing, 1500 bucks or less. You can get a duplicator that's going to put out 100 CDs an hour or more. You know, and they'll put the label right on there. You can have stamp a label right on your CD. And then, like you say, the booklets, I mean, you can do all, do all that on a computer and a printer, or even it might be cheaper, really, to go you know, take it to somebody and have that done, but that's not that much. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that reminds me too of something you said. Uh, uh, you said to me a couple of weeks ago. I think you said on the show how each person in the band should have a job, and th- and that's right too. I've been thinking about that, and it's like, yeah, I mean, there's like you said, some of them are good at songwriting, and others might, you know, maybe they're they're really good at getting gigs for the band or or promoting them, or and there's the other yeah. squad do the, the interviews and all of that. Yeah, everybody has their own job. If you'll notice, um, typically for band interviews, you'll notice that two, maybe one or two people in the band will do a great deal more interviews than the rest of the band members. Just, oh, yeah. I'm not talking for metal. I mean, it, for all sorts of musicians, there's some people that are designated as the go-to people for the interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're you know, they, Probably really people person. Maybe uh, maybe the drummer just doesn't like to talk to people. You know, maybe he gets kind of freaked out or something. So that happens. You know, people are like that. So it's like, well, okay. So you get somebody else that's good at it. Let them do it then. Let them do it. That's what they do. Maybe the guy that's not so good at talking to people, he's a kick-ass artist. You know, he's getting you some good flyers. And, you know, yeah, he's got his place too. Yeah, and just starting out like. That's what you need. Like everybody in the band has to have certain responsibilities on what they're going to do, mm-hmm. right? You know, or somebody in the in the band is good uh, with it. It doesn't even have to be in the band. You know, just in the scene in the city. So, and there's people now that are uh, good with recording. You know, you don't have to go to a a big studio and pay hundreds of dollars an hour to get. If you can hook up with the person that knows how to run the software right, knows how to set everything, and, and they're there out there, you know, you just got to find them. Yeah, I believe, um, I think David Sanchez, uh, that's who Witchhaven have used before, and he's been on, he's made a number of albums for a number of metal people on the West Coast. So I'd point uh-huh. to him, like, he, he's a respectable person. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's probably you don't got the equipment, or at least he knows how to use the equipment. He's good at, good at production, and that's what you need. So it's a, and that's why all the bands are going to him. Get you a good sound. Get you get you good pro sound. Then you got somebody else to get you some good art. Well, like Tom Martin, exactly. you know, he does the art. So, and that's that's what it is too. You need all the bands to be working together. Definitely. And I mean, just some artists are so much more popular than others. I mean, I see stuff for um, this fellow out in Sweden called Sickness 666. Mm -hmm. And he's done stuff for Witchhaven as well as, I believe... Some of the other uh, L.A. and West Coast Black Thrashers, I believe Dismantle and Taking Over, they point to him as a respectable person. Also, Halsey Cost, 
um, she's a really good artist too. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, that's good to uh, to know who the people are, and they're out there. I mean, you got to go to uh, all these bands. They all have Facebook pages now. Go check out their Facebook pages, and then from there, you know, you'll find other pages. And you'll hook up with these people. You'll find them. You'll find all the uh, people making their own magazines. You know, doing their own. Uh, Doing their own radio shows, you know, they're all over. They're out there. Yeah, I mean, Halsey, she's helped out Vindicator, Toxicolocaust, let's see, Havoc, Fast Kill, Evil Army, Dismantle, and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you help these people out, and someday these people will be in a, in a position to help you out, you know, and things might work, work out for you later. Yeah, I mean, it's... Like, people will remember somebody that helped them out. Mm-hmm. And um, they'll say, you know, this person, they did some really great art for me. And just we got so much attention because of it that just, you know, I mean, you really do need something that's really striking if you have, like, a really promising album, too. Because, I mean, you can't have, like, some lame, like, infantile uh, person doing your art. Because, like, if you have something mm-hmm. really, really amazing to showcase, I mean, you're doing yourself a disservice by not using really great art. Right, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, if you're right. I mean, if you're going to... you got to... you got to care about your product. you got to put something into it. I mean, think about it as if... What do you want? You know, what do you want to hear? You want to hear a good pro sound and CD. So that's what you got to make. You know, you got to get your band. And then if you got a good sound and CD, you don't want to put some shitty looking cover on there. You don't want a killer looking cover too. You know, so you get all of that. And then, uh, and then you got something that people are going to be proud of. They're going to pass around rather than, you know, you get some of them back in the old days, you know, remember them demo tapes. They, they were terrible. Some of them were just terrible sounding. Definitely, I mean, just taking a look, I mean, remember that Casey Orr came up with the, uh, I believe, the uh, logo art for Rigor Mortis. And I mean, Mm -hmm. he's like a really uh, cool artist, um, apart from his musical activities, too. I mean, he he paints certain things, and he has a really unique taste in making certain art, too, so... I mean, just do a little bit of research and you can find lots of people that are really knee-deep in the metal scene that would really fit Mm -hmm. your sound perfectly. Just do a little bit of research and you can find some real winners. Exactly, exactly. Well, I think we're down to probably our last minute. Maybe we should wrap it up before this just cuts us off. (laughs) Yeah, well... It's been a lot of fun tonight, Neil. And yeah, it was. Looking forward to next week's show as well. I suppose. All right. Yeah. Keep it up with uh, some of the same themes, and possibly uh, come up with a a special guest in the next few weeks too. All right. That's that definitely sounds like a plan. All right. Well, then uh, I guess until next time, Nick, you keep it metal. Stay metal, man.
All right. Take care. Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.